years. There is every reason to get vaccinated. There aren't reasons to not. in a time where corporations are treated like people and people are treated like things. They promote legislation that attacks voting rights, the poor, LGBT citizens, the immigrant community, and civil rights that are lewd, mean-spirited, and fundamentally contrary to what our democracy is supposed to be about. What is bad is not what they are doing. What would be bad is for us not to fight back. Hey ho, let's go. This is 102.3 WHIVLPFM, and you are listening to Resistance Radio, uh, and uh, I'm not really quite sure what my co-host here is uh, goofing off about, but I'm already making him laugh. I haven't even insulted him yet, and he's already laughing, so that's coming up right now. Usually debonair, but not debonair today. We are actually pre-recording. This episode, uh, as uh, we are going to be uh, taking a little break, so we wanted to make sure that there was consistent uh, episodes on air. And so with that said, uh, my name is Mark Yandere, Kenny Francis, uh, co-host, also one of the co-founders of Indivisible NOLA. Welcome to the show, Kenny. Hey, y'all. Um, as Mark Allen said that we are pre-recording this, is it's currently Sunday, and we're sitting in, in the small booth, the, the not live one, all cr- all crammed in here. It's 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 cozy. That's right. Um, and so this this episode that we're going to do, this is going to be a part of the education series that we're doing. Um, by the time that you hear this, there will be three, at least three parts that have come out that we've done live. Um, this version we're going to have this uh, this episode that we're having. We have we have a very special guest that I'm very excited to have on the show. Um, in a second, I'm going to let her introduce herself. Um, I know, I've known her for a little bit now. We used to work together, and we actually still work together. But we work together at OPSB, um, and I would love to welcome to the show. Uh, my good friend and colleague, Amy Grainer. Hi, y'all. Um, thanks for joining us, Amy. Um, first, I'd like to start, just like, introduce yourself. Like, who are you? What's what's your deal? Sure. Um, thanks, Kenny. <laughs> my- <laughs> yeah, Amy, what's your deal? Tell me yeah, what your deal that's is. A, that's a hard, a hard question to answer, but I'll do the best I can. Um, my name is Amy Grainer, and I believe why Kenny has me on the show is because of my most recent role in education in New Orleans, which was working for the Enroll NOLA team, um, otherwise known as the team who uh, runs OneApp. Um, OneApp, as you all know, is the centralized enrollment system for public school and publicly funded school seats. Um, in New Orleans, and uh, I worked for the enrollment team for about eight years, so from, you know, pretty much the entire time that it was in existence. Um, I still work with Kinney, and I still work in education, but I left the enrollment team um, in uh, June of this year. Yeah, we left at the same time. Yeah. All right, I guess, so starting from the beginning, sure. I guess, uh, I mean, do we want to take a step back and, and maybe describe why we need to have uh, a, a program called yeah. One App? Why do we need it to begin with? I guess that's a good place to start. Yeah. I'm, 
I'll let you go first. Sure. Um, so why do we need one app? This is a great question, and it's one that I got all the time working for the enrollment team. Um, there are a number of ways that you can answer this question, and it is based, I think, on your orientation as to why this work matters or doesn't matter, whether or not it's important, whether or not it uh, you know redresses or addresses systemic wrongs. I am certainly in the camp who believes that one app is a force for equity. So one reason why we might need one app is that when we have a traditional zone school district, um, you're essentially solving for class. Uh, families who have the means can buy into the district of a good school and guarantee their child has access to a higher quality education rather than, you know, families who might be relegated to um, more resource poor areas. Um, they probably are going to get a resource poor school as well, and they won't necessarily be able to afford to move into the zone of a different school or to have other school options. So what it does is it kind of breaks up those barriers. And in doing so, because class intersects with race, it also can break down segregation at its most powerful. Um, that doesn't happen as much with one app in New Orleans because there are, are a, there's a huge amount of white flight to private schools. But imagine in a city um, where you had a traditional zone school district bring in a centralized enrollment system um, and suddenly, you know, families from all over the city are able to access all the different all the different schools, including the quality schools. It can help break up segregation and integrate schools um, and integrate them racially as well as uh, socioeconomically. I thought she was good. Yeah, I and I and I believe Jan. Uh, <laughs> um, so, so I'm a doctor by training, and that's what I do. And so, it, I'm going to ask you some very basic questions. So, I know the two of you are advanced with with education type stuff. So, help me to kind of understand a little bit more. So. I understand that this is a, the one app is a force for equity. I totally get it, and I have a feeling that as we dive deeper, we're gonna into this hour, we're gonna probably hear more about that. But what it doesn't solve, I suppose, is the fact that there's still schools that are "quote unquote" failing, right? I mean, so all you're doing is you're taking kids that would otherwise belong to a failing district or failing schools, you're moving them elsewhere, which is great, but those schools still need to be populated. So somewhere, someone from somewhere else is going to ultimately get shifted mm -hmm. there. And so again, and I, and I ask these questions, I'm not trying to be rude or impolite or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm just asking, but does, that doesn't solve the problem, right? I mean, the problem still is the fact that schools are based on property taxes, mm -hmm. which is, I think, a very unfair way to, to fund education uh, because obviously the neighborhoods that have lower property taxes or people are going to not pay their taxes or what have you. But still, how do you square that circle in that one app doesn't really solve that problem? And maybe that's not what it's there for to do, but mm -hmm. still you're left with these failing schools. I'm sorry, Kenny. I, I'm going to let Amy answer a second, but I think a thing I want to say as sort of like a global statement um, is <clears throat> the existence, the need for one app to exist. Like I think Amy does a really good a job of explaining briefly about how um, it is an agent for equity and like and how it would and could be used ideally in a system where essentially, I'll say it less nice than Amy did, one of the big problems with one app um, and the way that it like impacts the system is that it can you can distribute seats as equitably as you want, but if all the rich white people opt out of the system, right. then like like it's you're you're sort of stuck in the right. same you're problem. Still, yeah. And like in in New Orleans in the G, in the New Orleans Greater New Orleans area, we actually have the highest um, per capita enrollment in private school in the country. So like the white flight here is like very very real. Right. Um, 
And that's directly tied to Ruby Bridges and desegregation, where white people in the city started sending their kids to private school when black kids started to be allowed to go to the same schools as their kids. And a thing that like I always say in moments like this is like I want to remind folks that when you look at the data of the effect on like the educational outcomes in private school, if you control for socioeconomic status, so if you're comparing kids that have the same amount of resources at home, the kids in private school and public school are actually performing at the same level. So if you control for socioeconomic status, a kid in private school with the same kid in a kid of the same socioeconomic status in public school, what the data shows is that they're performing at the same level. So my question for all you folks who send your kids to private school is why do you really send your kid to private school? Because your argument that it's a better system and that your kid's getting a better education is empirically not shown in the data and the research. So again, why do you really send your kid to private school? Yeah, and, and I, I promise you, Amy, will to answer the question. <laughs> I just also want to say, uh, to be completely clear to you, that as soon as I got to New Orleans, like some 14 or 15 years ago, I was struck by how all of my colleagues, all of my colleagues, not one of their kids go to public schools. And that struck me. That was the first, kind of my first awareness, and to this day, all of my colleagues, all of their kids go to private school. So just I'm putting just putting that out there. All right. So please. So back to Amy. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I, I completely I hear what you all are saying about private school. And I would just want to say too, you know, I think this is one of the ways in which um, we think of choice as maybe a basic right, but it is so often a privilege. You know, people who have means have more choices. Someone who doesn't like the public schools and can afford to go to private school can choose to go to private school, whereas, you know, most folks can't <laughs> afford that. And so they have public school as an option. And then, you know, potentially one app has the chance to give choices to people who might not otherwise have choices. Um, and also you have the privilege, you know, the means to choose where you live, you know, wherever you want to live if you have if you are a privileged person you have the means to choose what neighborhood you live in you choose the school you know i think in so many ways that um poverty is a lack of choice um so that's just you know a, a tangential remark based on what you all were saying um to answer the question about sort of like what one app can do or does do about the quality of the choices that are available um and it, it's most basic it doesn't do anything about that you know what one app does or what a centralized enrollment system does is make sure that the way that seats are filled is equitable and transparent. Um, what it cannot do is change the choices that are available to families. And I won't say that isn't a fundamental flaw or problem with the system. I think that with many people, what they hate about one app and the enrollment system is not the way that it actually works. It's not the fact that you know, kids are filled in a priority order that considers whether or not they have a sibling at the school and they live in the neighborhood. I think that those actual policies and procedures are pretty well understood um, and agreeable. What people don't like are the choices that are available to them. What they wish is that among all of the the C's and the D's and the F's, that there are more A's and B's, and there are very few, and there are very few seats at those schools, and so the majority of people who apply to them are going to be unhappy because the majority cannot be accommodated. So one app can't actually change that. They can't change the choices. What I will say it can do that I think is really powerful is it can 
make those disparities more glaringly obvious. I think in a, a system where you have choice, where you have the ability to compare your options, um, the disparities between them become really clear. <laughs> the fact that there aren't a whole lot of A and B schools available and the fact that, that maybe they're concentrated in certain areas, um, or maybe they have priorities as far as the students that they select that you don't agree with. I think that it is because of a comparative choice system that those things become really clear, which gives people the, the chance to advocate for something different, for you know the chance to fight for the fact that there should be more quality choices, um, and that when you say you have a choice system, but the majority of schools are maybe less than what you wanted, or maybe look the same to you, that that's a problem. Um, so that's something that I think it can do, is I think that it can sort of throw into sharp relief the um, existing disparities and inequalities in our system and give people um, a lever, you know, to, to advocate for themselves and for change. I also will say, and, you know, this is not a a non-contentious statement, but whether or not you agree with, you know, free market or competitive economics, I think changes the way that you think about whether or not this choice system is just a reshuffling of seats. So for example, yes, kids, saying. yeah, kids who, kids don't want to, or families don't want their kids to go to failing schools. So they don't apply to those schools. Those schools sit empty and then they don't have the resources to stay afloat and they shudder. And so that, whether or not you think that that's the right thing to do in a school system is another question. I mean, a competitive marketplace, some people don't like that concept being applied to education, but a competitive marketplace ensures that, um, that the products that consumers don't want to consume don't stay on the shelf. And so people do not apply to those schools and they fail. Um, so that's one of the, the ways in which the, the fact that this whole system is based off of, you know, fundamental economics, um, how it can really change the game as far as the quality of options available. No question? We had time, but yeah. if you want to... I, I think that, like... I think we just take it a step back even like further because I, th- I think a thing I, I guess I, sh- I probably should have grounded us in to begin with is I think that the need for the existence of one app at all is inherently the problem. Um, and I think that like what Amy can and will continue to do is like very, very um, eloquently explain that like with the system that we have, I would, I don't think it's a controversial statement to say that one app and the policies that govern the way that we allocate seats is one of the most equitable systems of its kind in our country. The problem is that we needed to have it at all. The problem is that a person with a child can't just send their kid to the school down their street, regardless of your race or socioeconomic status, and it's a good school that gives your kid opportunity. Like that's that's the problem. The problem to actually solve for is that true the tr- like true public education in like an, in its ideal sense should be like you go to the school in your neighborhood. It's a good school, whether you're white, whether you're black, whether you're rich, whether you're poor. You go there, and there's teachers there that care about you. There's teachers there that are qualified to provide you high quality education, and the school gives you opportunities to become a functioning, productive member of society. The, and that's the problem. And when people um, you know, when people don't have access to that, like that's what people are upset about. And like one, I feel like in a lot of ways, one app has become this sort of like amorphous thing that people can point to and say like that thing sucks, that thing's unfair. 
Um, when again, one app is incredibly equitable. And actually, I, I will, I'll be clear that this is me saying this and not Amy saying this. If you would like the cosign, feel free, but I'm not going to put words in your mouth. Um, I would argue that part of the work of one app is to create barriers for people who have them, who've had historically had the most access in exchange for people who've had less access. Like when I say that, when we say that one app is a, a, an equity tool, it ensures that we know that in public education, it's an equitably funded and we know that it's poorly funded and we know that it's hard to find a high quality public option. And we also know that people with means typically get the highest quality options over people who don't have means. For example, for people who hate one app, I would remind you of the days when schools in this city used to be able to used to be allowed to have their individual enrollment systems where they could have their own process for how you enroll at their school. For example, a school that won't be named that is a very highly sought after school used to have policies which required you to come to the school in person like on a specific day in the summer and like wait in line and like during work hours and fill out all this stuff. And so it's like, Oh, so if you're from a two parent family, one of which can like leave on their lunch hour and go stand in this line to get your kid into the school. Great. But if you are working, if you're a single parent or both of your parents are working or they're working minimum wage jobs the type of jobs, you can't just leave in the middle of the day and then you go there or you can't get transportation to go to the, to the school in person and fill out, then you just can't go there. And what that school did is essentially chose the families that it wanted to go to its school with its enrollment policies. And most schools in the city that were considered, quote unquote, good schools before one app were doing that. They created barriers so that poor black people who like couldn't get off of work or couldn't get a ride or couldn't do whatever roadblock they put to access that school in front of them would not be able to access that school. And those, that's why those schools didn't have those people. What one app says is it says once this once the once once this um this algorithm runs the kids that are assigned to you are the kids that are assigned to you and if they live more than a mile away from the school you got to send a bus to go get them like and that by definition is equity because it's the days where if you were say like you know a person of means or a particularly powerful politician you make a phone call and your kid gets into the school you want them to those days are gone like dr lewis who is a superintendent of schools had to fill out a one app like everyone else for his kid to get a spot in the system. That is what equity is in a system when when we're in living we're living in a, when we're living in a reality where there isn't enough quality to go around, which I think everyone agrees on. That like the problem is that we don't have every school is not a quality school, um, and there's many many reasons for that. Um, but in in that reality, I would I think Amy would agree with it. One of the best things you can do is like try to as fairly and equitably as possible allocate those seats i think it's an incredibly good good piece of equity that like literally the superintendent of schools himself has to fill out one app like if mayor cantrell was sending her school her kid to a public school she would have to fill out a one app like it doesn't matter that she's the mayor she would have to fill out one app like, like everyone else so if you are tuned into uh whiv uh you are listening to resistance radio we're 102.3 whiv this is resistance radio my name is mark allendary with me as always is somebody who i admire and respect also one of my closest friends kenny francis and it's really honor and pleasure to have amy granger 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 i'm so sorry who is one of the developers of one app 
Um, I don't know if I would say that. <laughs> one of the purveyors of one app. Yes. All right. Um, so, Katie, I think that was a great explanation, and 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 as and and I think Amy, I think you helped kind of put it into perspective in terms of marketplace stuff. And so, if I were to speak on behalf of people who hate one app, and I'm also speaking as somebody who doesn't have a child, and so I I've not had to go through this process, but just taking a a, a step back um, as a doctor. I abhor the fact that we have a free marketplace of healthcare. That to me is so painful. Mm-hmm. And to a large degree, the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare, kind of helped take that away. And if on a scale of one to 10, we were at a zero before the Affordable Care Act, we probably like eked out to like maybe three or three and a half now on a scale of one to 10, because it's still using this so-called free marketplace of ideas or free marketplace uh, uh, or competition for healthcare. And really healthcare shouldn't be something that is privatized and profitized or something that should be subject to quote unquote market forces. Widgets should iPhones should computers, water bottles, these things should all be subject to market forces. But I think that, Education should also not be subject to market forces. So assuming from the the perspective of people who don't like one app, um, the fact that our not only has our health care, but our education has become largely privatized and subject to market forces is somewhat disturbing because what happens to three or four years of a school starting to fail, that's three or four years that kids are in a failing school and eventually, like you said, they shutter and they, they close down. But in that process, you have you know, maybe a hundred, several hundred kids who have been attending a failing school. Eventually the market forces close that school up, Mm -hmm. but we failed those children in, in essence. Mm -hmm. Is that a fair way of, uh, is that, I mean, I think that's really fair. I think the, uh, and I'm going to let Amy answer a second. I think, I think the only like counterpoint to that though, is that I guess it means like where, from where you are trying to solve for, right? Because like, again, Yes, all of that's true, but at the same time, charter schools are not like those kids are still in failing schools. Like they were, they were, their, their school, like the, the the schools that you're talking about were failing. The difference in a regular, like a traditional system, is that that school never closes in the way it does in a charter system, and those kids are just trapped in that failing school forever. Like that, that's just a, a failing school that no one ever wants to send their kids to, and that we all pay for. We all continue to pay for this failing school to continue to not educate kids f- forever. So for me, it's just like, I agree that very, I, I, in an ideal world, no, market forces have no place in education. But we live in this really crappy place called America like that doesn't believe that like every child has should should have like call, but no it's the whole country because here's the thing and I say this all the time is that like we have a false value in this country that every child is deserving of equality education I believe that you believe that the three people in this room believe that but this country does not believe that it never it never has it didn't from the moment it created public education it made it compulsory and it said hey the white kids with the money you get to go over here and the poor kids the poor brown kids without the money you don't get to go over here like we literally had public schools that were segregated while saying that we believe that every child deserves a quality education we don't believe that what we believe in this country is that my child deserves a quality education and it'd be nice if your kid got one too, but definitely not at the expense of my kids. We view education in this country as pie 
and that there's not enough of it to go around. And rather than actually investing in it as a, as the social benefit that it is, we view it as this limited resource that only some people can have. And everyone wants their specific kid to have that. And it'd be nice if other kids have got that. But don't you dare take a single thing away from my kid. Real quick, and I promise, Amy, you, you're, you're next. Uh, that, that's ultimately going to be what the fifth show is going to be, is is how do we get to a place where there is quality education f- for everybody, that that is guaranteed. Because essentially one app, and again, I, and I'm saying this with the most sense of politeness and I'm not trying to be rude at all, but it's a Band-Aid trying to fix us. It's, and like Kenny said, it's a, it's a very equitable one. It's one that really kind of helps uh, it, it, it really kind of helps to uh, create a more equitable distribution of, of seats. But like I think, Amy, you said it perfectly when you said it's just a, a reshuffling. So, but if you could just kind of address just the, the economics the, the the market forces and then maybe if we can even take a step back i would love to even hear how did the one app like how did you guys make it happen i mean with how did you get a school that shall not be named but i think i i think i i got the the gist of it how did you get them to agree to like take away that their their policies and have to buy into the whole one app because i remember like eight or nine or ten years ago as the as it was coming down the line i remember just the vitriol of of it. So, uh, so two questions. So, if you could just address what we talked about a moment ago, and then maybe just list. I would love to just hear how the whole process and the drama kind of came get, and unfolded. So, sure, sure, I would love to. Um, so, yeah, to, as far as the market forces, um, certainly, I I hear everything that you're saying, Mark. Um, I think that what I would challenge about this is that, um, and it's a sort of echo what Kenny had said, um, which is, I don't think we were not failing kids before we had a system that was more autonomous, that was charter, that was more privatized, that was more based on free market economics. I think, in fact, we failed generations of children because there just wasn't, you know, the thing about free, a free market or a competitive marketplace is that it is agile in a way that government never will be. And that isn't, necessarily to criticize the important functions of government or the fact that education should be a public good and everybody should be entitled to a quality education. Um, I, I certainly agree with all of that, but I think for better or worse, we were failing generations of children through the system that we had of just treating it like a traditional um, public resource and that it is because of the agility of the free market um, that we're able to now close schools more quickly when it becomes evident that they're failing children um, or that they're, you know, behaving in a way that isn't equitable. I I don't think that kids should be stuck in a a failing school for years, um, certainly, but I also, um, I I don't think that going back to a more traditional model would prevent that. And I worry that, in fact, what it would mean is, again, that generations would be stuck in those schools before any action was taken or before any kind of accountability could come into play. Government is slow moving. Um, The private market is not. So that's one of the benefits of having a more privatized system. Um, as far as how all of this started, <laughs> um, so I will say I have been part of the one app team or I had been part of the one app team, um, since it began. Um, but I, why I, I stopped you, Mark, and said that, I don't know if I would say I'm one of the designers of the one app is that I wasn't one of the people at the steering committee designing it when it launched my career with one app started from the bottom and worked its way up. So, you know, I started doing, 
um, family services and communications. And then my work in, in that um, sphere grew. Um, so I was able to sort of see it from the family side of things and, you know, try to figure out a way to have families find the system to be accessible and understandable. And that's probably laughable because I think that one of the, the main challenges of um, people actually using the system the way that it's intended to be used is that they find it really confusing and sort of was my job to demystify it. And I won't say that I succeeded in that. Um, but all that to say is I wasn't necessarily at that table. I think that there was, when you talked about the vitriol at the beginning of, of one app, um, that certainly was felt on the side of schools, you know, fighting against joining. I think that what they feared most is losing their autonomy. And and absolutely. Right. And it wasn't necessarily because they, you know, there were a bunch of crooks and a dark room saying, but I want to be able to turn child away because their macaroni art isn't high quality enough or because, you know, their mom doesn't dress the way I want a parent who attends, you know, who has a child who attends my school to dress. It wasn't because they wanted to be able to turn kids away at will, but they did want to be able to decide. And so, you know, like handing that over, um, was a huge ask and it took mandates. Um, it took political pressure. Um, it took sort of strong arming as well as buy-in to create this system. (laughs) So there were schools that were bought into it. Schools who sort of like, they're like, this is a dream that I, that I agree with and I want to abide by. And that, you know, I, I want to, I want to hitch my wagon to the star. And then there were the schools who were like, you had to, you know, you know, drag them kicking and, and screaming. Um, I think, you know, part of what made it succeed were the people who sort of shared that dream, who were bought into it, who helped, you know, who sort of said, yes, I'm all in, you know. And then I think that the political pressure is the main thing, is that once families had some level of choice, um, the schools who are, who are continuing to hold out um, were feeling the pressure and buckling against it because families were saying, okay, so you have all of these schools that participate, but what about the quote-unquote good schools? What about these like status schools, these historically high-achieving schools who are choosing to not join the process? Because for context, Mark, if you don't know, those, those schools joined late, years late, and then there are still schools that are holding out. And, and oh, yeah. yes, yeah. yeah, there are still schools that are holding yeah. out. There's, there's, yeah. Yeah. there's two there's two two specific I mean there's 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 two specific schools that so so two two specific schools in our system that are public three three yeah there's three there's three schools that currently don't particularly one app it's um Lusher which everyone's heard of Lusher is a school out in the east that most people haven't heard of because if you don't live in the east you don't hear about things in the east called Lake Forest what who's the third to still out Ben Franklin Ben Franklin High School um and those are the three that aren't currently in one app they also happen to be three of the most sought-after schools in the city, um, and they don't con- currently participate in one app. And if you want to go there, you have to do a separate process to go there. Um, so, yeah. So, then, so, so, two questions. So, let me just do a quick station ID. If you're tuned in, this is 102.3 WHIV. You're listening to Resistance Radio. My name is Mark Gallandary. With me, as always, is Kenny Francis. And we are talking with Amy Grainer uh, today. Uh, and uh, Amy Grainer was one of the... Can I say executives? Yes. It was one of the executives at uh, at One App, uh, and uh, and we are. She's no longer with One App at this point, but we are sitting and talking about some of the basics of One App and 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 educating people like myself and hopefully y'all about what One App is from two people who have an extensive amount of uh, history and knowledge about them. So the so two. Okay, and then you'll give me the mic. Okay. Uh, 
the only thing I want to add is one, Amy, you're so amazingly polished. Um, I want to answer your question very plainly. Um, the, 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 no, the, the question, the question about like, no, the question about how this was done. It's like non-voluntarily. Like, like, like the, 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 like not eloquent way to put the brilliance that she just said, like the not eloquent, it's like the way that schools were able, that were, they got in, they were forced. They were essentially told like, you're going to do one app or we're going to publicly shame you until you do it. Right. And that's basically what, so what, what happened. The the, we're publicly shaming them until they do it. <laughs> and they're mandated. They're mandated. Well, to is, is there some like within 10 years you need to do it? Well, it was within 10 years. It was at their contract renewal, which because these are high performing schools, they right. have long runways. Um, but those contracts long are runways, what does that mean? meaning that, yeah, yeah their contracts yeah. are long. So for example, a school that is less well performing might get a short term contract, but schools that perform consistently well would get a 10 year contract. Um, so these schools, we were just kind of waiting for their contracts to become up for renewal um we are approaching that deadline we were really hopeful that they would uh, you know opt in voluntarily before no the mandate well the pu- the public pressure is real so there's a chance that that they may and as soon as one of these selective high sought off school sought after schools joins the others may cave yeah um i mean and and the the, the thing i'll add to that is that like to give a concrete example since we already named them like lusher um Lusher, by law, has to join one app at the end of his contract. The kind of the problem is that they had a ten-year contract because they were a consistently high-performing school. So you had to wait ten years until you could do it. And like Amy said, they could voluntarily do it right now, but that, it hasn't happened. Right. Mm-hmm. So can I, can I ask a question, Kenny? That I'm going to ask that you help me kind of frame in a way that because uh, you're going to know where you you're going to understand the way I'm asking the question, but help me ask the question in a way that that I'm I'm intending because I'm going to blunder my way, blunder my way through this. So one of the, actually just this morning before we actually jumped on air, Kenny and I were, were chatting and and this is something that we've chatted a lot about is the importance of early education. And to me, the importance of early education is that there's just no question about it. Forget that the data just overwhelmingly supports over uh, uh, early education, either pre-K or just kind of the, what we were talking about, childcare and from six weeks to two or three where kids are learning how to start learning essentially. For, yeah. So, okay. So now, now we now know, and you told me a very compelling story about, about two kids that were the same age, came from the same neighborhood and the same, same demographics, but one child was far more kind of emotionally and intellectually advanced because of the advantages that that child had from being read to and, and, and talked to. And whereas another child was maybe a little bit more developmentally delayed, was five, but acted more like three. Okay. And that we understand that the neural pathways are established. And sometimes those neural pathways, by the time that they're six, as, as you had told me earlier today, kind of get established. Okay, so now I'm going to ask the difficult question. So now these kids grow up, right? And so now they're at the one app status. Isn't it to the advantage to the three schools to not take those kids that are developmentally delayed because it's going to pull down their their status, right? How do you square that circle? And does that does that question make sense? Is that a fair question to ask? Yeah, and then I th- I think that like. I think I think that you you very first of all I I I'm so proud of you the way you just like you just like explained the importance of early education. It also means that I'm good at my new job that I've gotten that I've gotten you. Or I've known about it. It's, it means I'm good at my new job because it means I've gotten a member of the general public to understand the work that we do and the importance that we do. Great. 
if, if you're listening, boss. Hang on. So this is me patting Kenny on the back. Literally, I've got my hand on his back and I'm patting him right now. If my, if my boss ever listens to this, there's a, like you're paying me for a reason. I, I'm, I'm kind of good at this. Um, yes. Give him a raise, okay? <laughs> um, the Yeah, I mean, I think that you're spot on. I think that was a very good analysis of it. And I think ultimately what you're saying there is like, if you get to choose your kids, you essentially get to choose your outcomes. Yes. And that's what was true before one app. And that's what's true as long as every school is not in one app, that will continue to be true. And the, and the thing is that like, I, bef- I would love, I want to hear your thoughts in a second, but I think one thing I want to say as a brief aside is that like, I don't, I think one of the things like, like many things, like many things we talk about, I think there's like nuance to this. I think that like, yes, if you get to choose your kids, you essentially choose your outcomes. And that is like inherently not equitable. And I don't think any. I think it's hard to disagree with that. I will also say that every single city in the country has magnet schools, and magnet schools do have a place in education because the reality of it, like the hard reality of it, is that kids who come from families of not means, so kids that are poor and that are historically disadvantaged and are often the victims of historic and current systemic and personal racism – they have a greater need in terms of serving them to a, to a high quality level. Uh, it is simply they need more services, they need more resources, they need more supports. There should be a place in education for kids who are not there, and because because you're just it's different jobs like Isn't teaching. Like Trauma based education is about them or something? that yes and no. Okay. But but my 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 point is my point that I'm trying to make here is that like. I don't want to. I'm. I'm. I think that I wouldn't say is like. I don't think that a school like Lusher shouldn't exist. Like Lusher is essentially a magnet school. Like in any in any other city in America, we would just call it a magnet school. Um, and I don't think that it's inherently a bad thing that Lusher exists. Like I don't think that the work that the teachers and the and the um the leaders there are doing has like less value or is not valuable. I think it's actually very valuable because you need to push kids. You need to help kids access these like higher level levels of thinking. Um, it's just different work than working with a kid who like didn't have those kinds of resources. I think that like the problem that we experience with Lusher is that like one, the way that the ways to get in there and to access it have never been equitable. That's that's the problem. Um, I think the other problem is there aren't good choices like Lusher for enough people who want to send their kid there and for the kids to access that. Like those are two problems, not the existence of it. The, it's like the, the equity of access to it. Again, the the analogy that I started this with, with like treating education like pie. Like the reality is, is that for every kid that's at that level that they would flourish at a school like Lusher should have access to that. And if there's not enough spots for that, then we should do it in the most equitable way possible, like understand and like distribute it that way. But the existence of a magnet school isn't a bad thing. Like it's literally different work. Like when I, when I was, I was, I would never taught in a school like Lusher. I I taught in open enrollment schools when I was a teacher. My job is, was inherently a different job than a teacher at Lusher's. And there's, there's no like, and that's not a value statement. Like there's no like, I'm not placing a value on either one of those work. Like you're working with kids. All the kids need education. Like when we say all, we should mean all. Like it's back to what I was saying that like I believe that like every child is deserving of a high quality education that fits their need 
and that is differentiated for where they're at. Meet, like one of the most basic parts of education is you meet the kids where they're at and then you work from there and you support them up. And I believe that. But like, like we talked about before, people don't actually believe that other kids should get quality education. They believe that their kids should get it. And like, it better, like your kid can get it too, but it better not be at the expense of my kid. And that's, that's the problem. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I think that, yeah, I do think there is a place for magnet schools and selective admission schools. But I do hear, I heard from many families, you know, when I was working for the enrollment team, that they felt like selective admissions criteria were inherently discriminatory because they may have had a kid who had special needs who they felt like wouldn't be able to pass the exam, maybe not even necessarily because they weren't academically capable, but because of, you know, the way that the exam was administered or something to that effect. Um, However, I will say that I think that there is a place for these schools. I think that, you know, to Kenny's point about when you get to pick your kids, you get to pick your outcomes. I think one of the things that when families, you know, would express frustration with selective admissions processes that I didn't think was well understood um, was that the quality of those schools, the way that we measure it and sort of report it, you know, as uh, as a state, um, the quality meaning like the letter grade and the SPS score, that that has a causal relationship with the fact that there are selected selective admissions. You know, like they they aren't you know an A and then you know they get to select their kids. They're an A because they get to select yes, their kids. Yes. And I think that families didn't understand that, so they felt like, oh, you're whole holding me back, you're preventing me from accessing this quality school. And it was a, a difficult conversation to have to sort of say, like, the quality of that school is a direct measurement of the way that they do their admissions. So I think that's a, you know, a more nuanced point that I just, I just want to highlight. So, but if you had a, do, did you have more? Oh, yes, oh, always. Okay, 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 okay. So let me say this. And so going back to the point that, the, or the question or whatever that I made earlier, if and again and please help me with this because this is like I'm stepping I feel like I'm walking through a field of landmines all right so just help me out here so if you have a school that's high performing let's say like last year right and they are going to be subject to one app uh, forces and if now all of a sudden you're getting kids that have these neural pathways that have that have made them stunted or shunted emotionally and intellectually it, it's fair to project that Lusher's quality is going to go down. Yes. Okay. And, I mean, I, and so, yes. and so like, so I understand why they're holding on to it, but what I want you mm-hmm. guys to help me understand and other people help understand is, and this is kind of what you were starting to say, which was that kids need more, but still Lusher's going to hold on. Like they're not going to do one app. They're going to like buck every element. Like if you think at the end of 10 years, they're going to like be like, okay, time for one app. They're going to be like, no, they're going to find some other way to, to get around it, you know, because they know that the quality of their education is going to like they're going to go from an A school to a B minus school or something. And so how do we how do we we fail generations of kids and how do we go back? And I know, Kenny, you want to talk. So I just I just want to clarify one thing. Um, when you when we say quality, just for the purposes of this conversation, what we're saying is quality is like what your what your test scores say. Because, like, I, I just want to be clear that we're saying that I'm not saying that, like, the teachers at Lusher or other schools are any better or worse than anyone anywhere else. When we say quality, we're saying that, like, 
that the, the letter grade that they have. And so like, yes, what you just said is in that context, what you just said is true is that like, yes, objectively reality is when the kids who don't have access to Lusher get access to Lusher, their letter grade is going to go down. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Also, just also, let me just say too, that by quality, what I also mean is what's going to happen to those kids after they leave Lusher versus what happens when a kid leaves a school that's a failing school, like a kid who's been in a failing school their whole lives uh, you know, w- w- you tell me that what the the reading age is or the reading quality is like a fifth grade re- reading quality. State, yeah. Yeah. Okay. The, the state the state average is that we, that we read at like a sixth grade level. Right. So kids that are graduating from a school that is you know a D or a C is going to have a different outcome than a kid who's graduating from Franklin or for Lusher. They're, they're likely to go to college and then obviously have greater opportunities in society. And so that's kind of what I'm, I'm getting to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think there's lots of ways to measure quality. And I certainly don't think that letter grade in SBS is the one that's you know the most objective or the most true or the most meaningful. I will say it is meaningful to families. And I think there's lots of good reasons for that. So, um, But yes, quality could mean the long-term outcome that that child going into adulthood experiences and you know like their economic viability and you know their overall you know you said you were a doctor their health you know there's so much tied up into quality of education and to access to resources so definitely um i think it is a it is a tricky thing to define um i will say that like as far as quality in terms of sbs and letter grade um you're absolutely right that once the um the makeup of that school changes so will their sbs and letter grade so will that measure of quality and we have seen it with other schools that were historically very high performing um who we will say may have shut kids out intentionally or unintentionally over a course of a long period of time um, and that having joined one app, they um, they have experienced a dip um, in performance. Um, Benjamin Franklin Elementary is a good example of that. Um, and Baby Ben is also one of the most popular selections for kids who um, are in closing schools who get priority in the lottery. So if your school closes down, you get um, first priority to any school that participates um, in the one-up process um, for the following school year. So and that, the whole idea is to help mitigate um, the trauma and the educational loss of a school closing by giving you access to a higher performing school. So Baby Ben has taken on a disproportionate number of those kids um, and that also they have seen that in their performance um, so inevitably and I'll also I'll give you one more anecdote to this effect um, there's a high school that joined recently that was also very high performing their letter grade has also gone down by at least one point since they joined. Um, and I remember the first year that they joined, um, talking to somebody who I think is well-meaning and who I respect at that school who said, I think something went wrong with the lottery because the percentage of kids that we have that are special needs seems really disproportionate. And I don't understand what happened. Could you explain it to me? I had to more or less gently say, this is what most high schools that have been participating in one app, this is their percentage of special education kids. And and that school had been protected from that. And so I do, I think that that is a natural result of being more equitable in your admissions, taking on different kinds of kids who have different needs, who are at different levels, who have different resources at home, um, is that you get an aggregate that's a little more middling. And that is something that I also would hope that the public would understand too when they think about selecting schools and differentiating quality. 
If you're tuned in, you are listening to 102.3 WHIV. This is Resistance Radio. My name is Mark Allendary. With me is Kenny Francis, and it's been a pleasure and honor to be talking with Amy Grainer, who is one was one of the executives of, of One App, and we're spending the, the hour today uh, in this pre-recorded episode talking about uh, One App and, and, and the equity of, of education. So taking another step backwards, let me ask you guys this. If we are subjecting uh, education to market forces, right? Right. And in, and in our capitalist market forces, we also know that's just a, a coded word for discrimination or for allowing discrimination to happen. How can we square the circle that schools then who are also participating in, in a capitalist system like Lusher or like Franklin, they're going to push back against the forces that are going to ultimately hurt their bottom line. Right. And so that's how do you how do you square that circle? Yeah, I think that's so I think it's a good question. I, I, I may um, not have understood it. So correct me if I'm, I'm, I'm going off in the wrong direction here. But I will say from my perspective, you know, one app in the enrollment system enrollment is the entry point. So like so much of my work revolved around just getting kids in, just like opening up the door, just knocking down the hurdle, breaking down the barrier and getting the kid in. What that doesn't do is make sure that 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 kid isn't then made to feel unwelcome at the school, isn't treated differently, isn't given the services he or she deserves or is entitled to, um, isn't challenged in a way that the school doesn't help the kid adapt to. So then the kid essentially just says, this, I'm not cut out for the school or the school isn't right for me. So then exits like what it doesn't do is actually see if it sticks, if the enrollment sticks and if we like really break up and transform schools so that in this ideal world scenario that we referenced um, at the top of the show so that all schools are serving all kids. So all kids have access to quality education. You know, the enrollment system doesn't necessarily ensure that it can get the kid in, but it can't ensure that once the kid gets in that, you know, the, the school is accommodating um, them, that the school is actually adapting to, to accept a more diverse, you know, student body. And, and I think I think part of it is that like I think the difficulty here, as, and I think if if you're walking away from this episode understanding one thing, I I hope that when you listen to this series, you recognize that education is much more complicated than people think it is, right? And it is a very nuanced and very difficult thing to solve for when you're in a capitalistic society. Um, it's it's hard, and th- this. I think this is why like folks need to be able to like think critically about it. And like as as a person who's worked in education my whole like professional career, um, it's why I bristle when people like try to like oversimplify these issues. Cause like we are all all of us working in the field are like very impassioned, very like hardworking professionals are trying to solve these complex things and people distill these like complex things that like um, you know, encapsulate race and class and historical oppression and current oppression into these like simple talking pieces that it, there's just not. And the reality of it is that like not everyone's a um, expert in education just because you went to high school, but that's how we treat it. And I think that like on some level, I'm like I want to stand up for us as edu- education people, whether you're public charter or whatever. Like I want to stand up for education people in general. Like people need to respect what we do more because like it's hard. 
and we're figuring out stuff that is very, very complicated. And if you're listening to this and like you're finding yourself like, man, yeah, that's a lot. I was like, yeah, it is. And this is just, we're just talking about one issue. We're just talking about enrollment. We're not talking about quality. We're not talking about curriculum. We're not talking about ratio. Like we're, and we haven't even gotten the funding. Like, yeah, it's hard. So like, if hug a teacher today, hug, <laughs> hug a teacher, like hug a teacher and give him a $15,000 check. Like, and cause like part of the answer to the, your question is that the reality of it is the thing that I always say to folks is that if you want better options, is everyone in the city okay with a 20% increase of their taxes? Because at the end yes. of the day, at the, at the end of the day, the country, when you look at places that have figured out education, that ha- are doing it so much better than we are, they simply view it as a public good that they fund. And they don't place these like standards on it that are like, oh, if you don't reach this quality standard that like we arbitrarily created that there's a whole lot of reasons why you could or could not reach that standard, then you don't get the funding. Because that's basically what we do in America. Basically what we do in this country is we say, like, here's this bar that we created that you should be able to meet. And here's inadequate inadequate funding to do it. And if you don't reach it, we're going to give you less funding. Like, that, like that's, that's, like, when you distill public education in America, like, that's what it is. And for me, it's like, education should just be funded period at what it costs to provide every child equal education yes, but the yes. implications of that are implications that no one likes it means we have to pay more yes yeah, yeah absolutely i i couldn't agree more with you kenny i also just want to say before we move in any other direction is i don't i didn't answer your question mark um which i sort of said enrollment is the beginning um but not the end and you had asked you know what do we what do we do about like once a kid shows shows up more or less so it, right yeah I mean um, it's just inherently unfair to place education under economic yeah, forces right. because the the high performing schools are also under economic forces and they're gonna pull back they're gonna do everything that they can right. to close the doors to uh, traditionally or historically discriminated families or uh, communities of color that they know their kids are emotionally or mentally stunted because they didn't have the same advantages in their in their youth or in their t- as babies or whatever yes yes and what I sort of like walked around not intentionally was that that does happen that we do see that at high performing schools or at all schools that schools will make kids who they do not want to serve they will make those kids feel unwelcome it will be clear that they do not want to serve those kids and then those kids because of our lovely choice system that I believe in will say okay well I'll just go to a different school and then the school isn't on the hook to actually continue to serve the kid and so I I do I agree with you that this is a huge problem it's certainly one that kept me up at night I think that there isn't an easy solution to any of this and certainly not to this question but I will say two things I think are super important are accountability and support. And I think that they're important as, you know, like two prongs to a similar force, which is that you have to hold schools accountable when they do this, when they shut kids out, when they turn them away, when they counsel them out, when they make them feel unwelcome, when they discriminate, you have to hold them accountable. You have to have really good systems to do that. Um, I also think you have to support those schools. You have to acknowledge it is hard (laughs) to adapt to a new demographic. It is hard to take in new families with different challenges than you've ever faced before. That education is hard, period. Um, and like the example I used of Baby Ben earlier, Benjamin Franklin Elementary, they took on huge cohorts of kids from closing schools. These are kids that, as we alluded to earlier, have been failed for years 
they're behind, you know, they're behind on grade level. They've experienced this trauma of a closing school among any other number of traumas in their life and their education. And then we say, here you go, school, good luck. And we don't provide a lot of directed support to help that school adapt to that new cohort and succeed and serve them well. So I think accountability and support are two things that we can do. Um, and we do do as a school, but that, you know, that are super important to actually ensuring that the enrollment sticks and that we're, we're making sure these market forces that, you know, schools aren't buckling against them and families aren't left in the lurch because of them. It, it, it kind of reminds me to a certain degree of when we look at privatized uh, prisons, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the privatized prisons will always say that they run better because they cherry pick who actually comes to the prison. They're not taking the, the person with a cellular carcinoma. They're not taking the patient who has a high medical needs, like is on HIV medications. Mm-hmm. That is going to cost them a lot of money. They're not going to take the people who are uh, have shown to have a history of violence uh, in, within the prison system, right? I mean, so they're cherry picking and then they're able to kind of report back outcomes that are false outcomes because they, they don't rep- they're they're hugely biased i mean and so it almost seems like to a certain degree when you were saying that the schools who are taking these children will make them feel unwelcome they're kind of pushing out the kids that and i don't know how else to say that but they see it as don't belong that those aren't my words i'm and for everybody i'm using huge air quotes to say that because i think ultimately it comes down to what kenny just said about three minutes ago that we need to get to a place and i have a feeling that we're going to talk about this at length when when we get to it that we need to fundamentally reform how education is uh is is um paid for and funded and it should not be tied to property taxes that is a huge error and and kenny's analogy of uh, of education being a, a pie it shouldn't be a pie it should be the whole pie factory yeah. right so that there's enough to go around we have like about a minute or so and so i'd just wrapping up i just want to say one thing uh, actually two things one thing um i want to amend a statement i made a couple of minutes ago and say that hug a teacher today and give them a hundred thousand dollar check that like if can we, can we get that hashtag to trend uh, hashtag hug a teacher <laughs> hashtag hug, hug a teacher and hand them a check for a hundred thousand dollars that i want to amend it to that and I, we should make that i think um because if teachers got paid if teachers got paid what doctors and lawyers do in this country we would have a different education system but we'd be a different value um, second, I want to thank you so much for coming in, Amy. Um, as you guys have just all heard, she's brilliant and amazing. And I feel very proud to have done this work with her in the past and to continue to do this work together at the place that we both currently work together. Um, the last thing I want to do before we let you go is that um, one of the values that we have of this show is we, we talk about these like very difficult, very complicated topics. But I, I always love to come back to you know the teacher in me. is like I love to give homework and be like, so here's a thing that you can do either to like help advocate against this thing or help you navigate this thing better now that you have a better understanding of it. And so what I would love to take the last bit of time we have left is um, as someone who worked with one app for as long as you did at the end of the day, there are some people who don't want to deal with the whole like hyper meta version of this that we're talking about. They just want to find a good school for their kid. So for the parent listening to this, it's like, I, I don't care about any of this. I just want a good place for my kid to go. What's some like practical advice you you would give them for like navigating the system? Um, okay, sorry. Um, so thank you, Kenny. Um, thank you, guys. Thank you, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and I completely echo all of the respect and admiration for you, Kenny, and for everybody who I worked with in public education. Hug a teacher and hug your local bureaucrat even if it makes you feel icky (laughs) because they're working really hard and they have good hearts. Um, So as far as practical advice, I think cast a wide net 
um, and do your homework, do your research, do your due diligence. The strength of this choice system is dependent upon you know, families researching their options and acknowledging that their child has unique needs and that there may be a school that they would have overlooked through, you know, really basic measures that is, you know, designed or equipped or would love to meet the needs of that child. Go on visits, ask questions, go on school tours, um, do your homework and just learn about your options. Cast a wide net also in the sense of listing lots of choices. Acknowledge that there aren't enough seats at all of your favorite schools for every kid who wants to go and think now think early about where you would go if your kid didn't get in because not everybody's going to get get in you know in the high quality schools or like say edward hines which is the most popular um public elementary school currently participating in the enrollment system they receive as many as 10 times applications to the to the seats that they have to accommodate those kids just consider that as you make your choices make your plan a and b and c and d and just be realistic list all those options on the front end and if you do your homework then i would hope that you would feel comfortable doing that um i have a lot more but i know we're out of time so they well, we would love to have you back uh at some point in the, in the future thank you so much and also let me just say for as much back and forth as kenny and i uh, typically have uh in our uh friendship and in our uh professional relationship i will say kenny it's amazing how similar you and i are really are to the core because as you said that you've always been a teacher who's always been worked in the open app system was that how you said it? or open oh, enrollment yeah. system i as a physician, I've always been the physician that's always worked with the Medicaid and, and un, un, uh, undocumented and also uninsured populations. So there's there's a similarity. And I know that we're out of time here, so I'm going to have to shorten our intro. But I just wanted to add that there because I thought that that was a, a nice similarity between the two of us. Kenny Francis, Amy Grainer, thank you so much. Thank you for helping me understand one app. And uh, Mark Parody and uh, Megan Music Monday is coming up next. Thank you guys so much.